Hi, I'm Caroline Carey, and you know, I'm always inspired by other people's life stories. So I listen for the soul journey that is interwoven between each individual's experiences throughout their life. Join me to hear for yourself how each narrative becomes a transformative and inspiring message for us all. Enjoy the podcasts. So this podcast is about soul purpose and you might wonder why I would ask somebody who's a marketing professional to come and talk on here. Well, for one thing, I believe everybody has a soul purpose and that we're all born with it. So of course, no matter what the profession, we're all going to want to embody that. But also I had another motive for wanting to talk to Darren Jameson, because those who are embodying their sole purpose might well want to um, put it out into the world. And that means using things like marketing skills and social media and understanding how that works. So it's figures to me that we need to have a bit more understanding of that. And what better than somebody who has really engaged with that, um, those techniques, has really understood what they're about and has been doing that since very, very early on in life and kind of knows what makes people tick and what they need to be able to do to put themselves out onto that platform. I know for me, Marketing has been one of my struggles, and um, I'm sure it is for many people. So here's Darren, and he has a lot to share about his purpose and, yeah, marketing. Have a listen. Okay, Darren, nice to see you again. And, And you. And um, I'm going to find out what your sole purpose is, right? Oh, no. I do. <laughs> That's the idea of this podcast. Um, but what I know about you is that you're, you're, you're kind of a marketing expert, would you say? I Yeah, I've, I've been doing it a while now, 20-something years. Yeah. Okay. I like to say since the last century, which is technically true. You know, okay. late okay. 90s was the last century. It makes me feel even older. But it's kind of a cool thing to say, isn't it? It does make people think you must be highly experienced in what you do. Yeah, or not found a proper career. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, I've been doing digital marketing since before Google was the big search engine. Oh, really? Mm. Wow. Well, it used let, to be Yahoo back then. Oh, yes, I remember Yahoo. Mm. Well, let's talk a bit about marketing. And, um, you know, because it's it's quite a I, – I like, I like the – conversation around marketing because i've had quite an experience with it Mm. throughout my working life um and whether that's your sole purpose or not we will see hey but tell me what 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 is it (laughs) don't look at me like that what is this uh, what is it that you actually do um what i do is i help businesses 
to become the authority within their industry online so that their ideal clients, their ideal customers come to them rather than the businesses having to seek them out and find them. They come to them because they see them as the the solutions to their problems. They see them as the ones that that they should trust, the ones that they want to work with. So even if you've not met a client or a customer face-to-face and you've not had the opportunity to sit down and talk to them, your potential client or customer trusts you, knows you, likes you, and believes that you are the one that can help them because of your online presence that I helped you with. I see. So you've got to dig around a little bit to find out more about your clients in order to know how best to help them attract mm. more clients. Yeah, it's yes, it is, but it, it, it's less about our clients or you know the business owner and more about their target clients. So it, it's all about what they're looking for, what their problems are, and how you help them, how you serve them, and how you. You, you do what you do that, that makes them want to come back to you. Because um, one thing that people often say when they, they look at a web design, for example, or a, a piece of content for their website or some social media, they'll say, oh, that's not quite me. That's not quite what I want. That's not quite what I like. Or I don't want to use Facebook or I don't want to use LinkedIn because that's not me. And it's not about whether or not it's you. It's about whether or not your target client is going to be there and is going to want that. Right. Because it's not for you. It's for your target market. I see. That's interesting because I I have an Instagram account and I was sort of getting talked into having somebody work on it for me. And mm. said, I'll get you lots more likes and I'll do your posts for you. And you can just hand that over. And, and I did that for about... Um, I think about two or three months, it cost a lot. Mm. And I saw that what she actually put up there um, didn't feel like it reflected me particularly. So I I stopped it. Yes, mm. got lots of likes and things, but I think they weren't genuine likes and follows. Yeah. And a bit of a one for, well, you know, I want someone to like something, not because it's come off a a, a system a bot or whatever you call it it's actually because somebody likes it and i want mm. somebody to follow me because they like what i do not because they've been engineered to to you know for those clicks mm. and so no, that, there's different ways of looking at it isn't there like, yeah that, that, like that's really good point really yeah. good point what you've said there and there's a lot of people in our industry that that play on the the whole likes and follower count and and rankings in in Google as though it was the be all and end all. Yes. But it's not. It's just a vanity metric. Whether you've got fifty followers on Facebook or ten thousand followers on Facebook, it doesn't matter at all. What really matters is the people who genuine people who engage with your content, the genuine people who comment on it, who ask the questions and who click through to the website or to whatever it is that you want them to do and who actually become your clients, your customers. The end of the day, results are how well is your business doing? How many clients are you taking on? How much profit are you making? Not how many people have clicked like on an Instagram post or a Facebook post or a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. When, as you say, there's so many people in our industry doing it very dodgily 
that a lot of those are going to be bots anyway. Yes, yes. Mm. I get it. And and I'm glad you say that, you know, because I think that is that is really important. Um, and it's important for us to understand that. And so even though it can be a bit disheartening when you don't get any likes on something that you happen to mm. have, you know, that that of course it does affect us. So what what's the first thing that you do with a client, you know, or somebody that you're engaging with? What's the first thing you're going to help them with? The first thing we do is we have a, a call with the client, much like we're doing right now, and we talk about their business. Mm. So if I were to come to you and say, right, let's let's do search engine optimization for you, and these are the keywords we're going to optimize your website for, that's totally pointless. That's jumping the gun because that might not be right for you. People come to us and say, can you do Google ads for us? Or can you do Facebook ads? And it's like, well, we can technically, but that might not be right for you. Let's find out what your business is about. Let's find out what it is that you want to do. Where are you right now? Mm. What have you got? What activity are you doing? Where do you want to be? What clients do you work with right now? Which ones do you like working with? Because we all have those clients that are more hassle than they're worth. And they're not the kind of clients we want more of. What kind of clients do you want? What kind of target audience do you want? What kind of things do they like? What kind of things do they have problems with? What questions do they ask? Let's create um, target client profiles for you or avatars, as we call them, so that we can work out what switches them on, what makes them tick, what makes them want to work with somebody. And then we'll put together a strategy that fits them, that gets them into your business. Now, that could be Google ads, it could be Facebook ads, it could be social media, it could be Instagram, it could be TikTok, it could be content, it could be search engine optimization, it could be a variety of different things, but it'll be what's right for you. And there's never the same thing, sweeping generalization that's right for everybody, because it's specific to your business and your industry. Sure. So it really makes sense. Yeah. So this is so you you get your clients people at you advertise and people come to you and mm. you know, people need help with this sort of thing hey because i mean all this stuff about algorithms and social media it's not it's quite difficult to navigate at times isn't it yeah well probably it, not for you but well no it can, it can it can be for us it can be for us i mean google had a big update just last week a big core update which has people in our industry panicking how is it going to affect it? You know, we're going to spend two to three weeks before we see websites moving in Google. And if you've been doing stuff that's dodgy, you could see your website completely drop out of Google. And essentially, if you've been doing things properly, which is creating quality content that your target market wants, then don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay because you've been doing it right. That's what Google wants. If you've been taking shortcuts, if you've been... Paying for links, for example, on websites to point to yours to artificially inflate your rankings, or if you've been using artificial intelligence like ChatGPT to generate thousands and thousands of pages of content and just pump it onto your website with no thought about what it's for, then you might have a problem. Wow. But God. it's people doing it right don't have to worry about updates from Google. Right. I think I'm doing it right. <laughs> I spend thought a lot you might of be. Well, I, I I write everything myself. I mm. promise you that. So that that's really interesting. And so people could find their websites kind of disappearing a little bit if they're not being 
very very much so and quite often it's not their fault it's nothing they've done it could be because they've hired somebody in digital marketing who is doing mm. a like a get rich quick scheme but a get results quick scheme that circumvents google systems and says right we can get your results we can get your rankings for this we can get your traffic for this and it's going to cost you this much and we're going to do it but we're not going to tell you what we're doing because you don't need to know the ins and outs of what we're doing that's always a red flag Wow. Okay. So you're not I, doing any I, of that sort of thing, Darren. You're yeah. I, I used to work with an agency in Manchester who was doing this for years mm. and they hid the fact they were doing it. They wouldn't tell people what they were doing because it was always against Google's terms and conditions. And then Google had this huge update about 10 years ago, massive update. So that all of the, the strategies they were using suddenly stopped working like that. Ooh. All of their clients lost all their rankings. Okay. That agency doesn't exist anymore. I'm not surprised. I bet mm. there's a lot of people not very happy with them. We're, we're talking hundreds, high hundreds of clients, high hundreds of businesses that would have just dropped out of Google. Wow, wow, gosh. Okay, so mm. so what what's um what's your success rate with all of this? A success rate? Yeah. Well, that, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting way of putting it. Um, I think good way to describe our success rate that the first client we ever had back in. Well, we were formed in 2009 in GageWeb. Our first client was with us before we started, and they're still with us now. Um, they absolutely dominate anything that you search for in their industry. It's a, it's a financial training client, so it's quite a competitive industry, financial training. Um, they dominate in their industry. They've got a variety of different techniques that are being used for them, and one of the best techniques that we've got for them is because they get loads of traffic to the website, mm. some digital marketing agencies would say, well, that's it, job done. Yeah. We've we've got traffic to your website. But that's not it, job done, because you need to be getting business into the client, otherwise it's all pointless. Mm. Mm. We've got what's called a the technical term is a lead magnet. So it's something on the website that people put their details in in exchange for something of value for free. Right. So because they're a financial training client and they do training online and in person, yeah. we've got a, essentially we've created a free module of their training program. So if you're not sure whether or not you'll like it, you put your name, your email and your phone number in and you get to try it for free. Okay. And since we put that in place, they've got something like five and a half, six thousand people have gone into this. They go into their mailing list, into their automated follow ups. So each one of those people then gets a series of emails automated. The client doesn't do anything. Mm. And if there's not clients by the, I think it's the fifth email, they get a discount code for yeah. the training, which gets them on. So this client in COVID, everything was face to face. Yeah. All of his training was face to face and he had to shut it all down as a lot of businesses did. Yeah, But he was also looking at, having to close his business because he had to refund everybody that had booked on for the year. But oh. we've been telling him for years, you need to get this online. You need to do this interactive because it's the way forward. It takes you out of this geographical restriction and allows you to do it across the whole country and indeed internationally. Right. But now he was forced to yeah, because it was shut down. So we transformed his website into an online learning platform as opposed to an event booking platform in the space of about two weeks. Right. And he went from the verge of going bankrupt to having his best ever financial year in 2020 in the middle of COVID. Wow. 
that's what I like to think as as a success. That's the kind of result I like to get. That and is a good result, hey. He, he's a very happy man. And he, he's looking at retiring in a few years' time as well because he's had this business with us now 14 years, yeah. another six or seven years, and he'll be retiring. So we'll have built it from 20 years on from nowhere up until pretty much the dominant force across the northwest and the UK. And is it still going despite us not being in lockdown and the like anymore? Yeah, great question. Yeah, because he's a he's a cheap he's a cheeky chappy happy guy, and he likes fake. You know, he likes contact with people. Yeah. He's gone back to doing face to face, but he's also doing the online ones as well. So they're running side by side. And then you've got people from other countries who aren't going to be able to travel, and they can yeah. connect. Yeah. Absolutely. And that is what has expanded for us in so many ways, isn't it? With Zoom and. Yeah, the Online. the world's got a lot smaller. Yeah, 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 which is mm. amazing, really. And so you must feel really proud of that, that you've helped somebody to really develop their online business. And I, I, I do, because I know a lot of businesses struggled. A lot of businesses went under in that period. Mm. Um, but a lot of our clients really blossomed because of it. Um, Another one, for example, was a, a garden centre, and garden centres, like all businesses, shut down during COVID. Yes. And he had a lot of quite expensive garden furniture, rattan furniture, wicker furniture. We're talking, say, five, six, seven, eight thousand pounds for a furniture set. Yeah. And obviously, he wasn't able to sell anything through the website through um through the business because everything shut down. Garden centres opened a lot quicker than everywhere else because they were deemed, but what was the term, um, required or urgent or necessary or something which he thought was a bit weird but he wasn't arguing with because they got to open a bit earlier but the website took all of the surplus that the shop would have been doing taking all of the orders because previously he couldn't do that until he came with us so his timing in coming with us was perfect because it saved him through covid and he did i think it was 1.2 million in sales through the website across the first year right through the covid year as a result of this, which again is, an, is another cracking, cracking story because it, it meant his business was able to continue when otherwise it wouldn't have done because of what we were doing with the website and what we were doing with the marketing and the content and getting people to the website and yeah. everybody getting interested in gardening during a time when they couldn't leave their own house or their own garden. Of course. So garden centers like him who were capitalizing on the online platform were able to get stuff out to people who were stuck in their houses. So that so the, the lockdown really has served some people in in, in amazing ways. I mean, I, I have to yeah. admit that my own business, uh, the work that I do, because uh, I was always holding in-person workshops, you know, face to face, being with people in large groups, and then lockdown happens and I can't travel and I can't hold those spaces. And so I took everything on online. Mm. and um i and i did well it was it was it was okay it was it was good for that period of time and um but you know this this whole marketing thing i when i think about when i i first started to do the work that i i do and i think i talked to you about this previously but um you know there wasn't any social media i didn't have a computer when i first started uh, you know, it really was getting somebody to make a flyer for me and go and stick it up in the library or in the, the local shop or the garage or wherever it was, you could stick them. And I'd go out there with pins and sellotape and, you know, spend a whole day sticking up these flyers at quite mm-hmm. great expense because they didn't, they, you know, they weren't cheap to have made um, and and posting them everywhere. 
and also stuffing envelopes with them. And I, I would get my kids to put the stamps on and I'd be writing out all the addresses of however many people I had on my mailing list at that time. And I would physically post them, you know, post this flyer or brochure or whatever it was out to my clients. And that's how we did it. So mm. Facebook, no, no way of letting people know with an email. Um, this is a long time ago. And when we did get emails, of course, it started to get a bit easier. But, you know, the social media platforms, they've made it so easy for us to put our stuff out there. In fact, there's so much of it that it's become quite competitive. Now, you you mentioned competitiveness in 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 one of one of the things you just shared. And that word sort of stuck with me a little bit because it's become a very competitive world, hasn't it, for for selling, for marketing, for for getting people to your workshops, whatever it is. Yeah. There's a vast, vast amount of people offering things all online. It, it is, but the the good thing is the vast majority of people are doing it really badly. <laughs> um so so many people think that Facebook marketing is sharing a post from your page into a local group about what you're offering and what you're selling. Okay. Um, I run a local group on, on Facebook. It's, it's not a big group. It's got a couple of thousand people in it, but I've probably got over, over a thousand pending posts that I'm never going to approve. I keep them in there to use them as examples of how not to do marketing. Uh, people just sharing posts from their page, basically yeah. buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Yeah. My shops open this. I'm offering this, this weekend only. If your group is allowing that to be posted, it's just going to be full of ads and nobody's going to be interested. Yeah. Yeah. If a group is got good quality content and discussion in it, it's not going to allow stuff like that. So why these people think it's okay to just go in and share their posts 30, 40, 50 times across different groups and think that's how to market their business. And no matter how many times you tell them that doesn't work, they won't listen to you. I was like, yeah, it does. That's what I do. I get my business from that. No, you don't. The way to get your business from a Facebook group is to become an expert in that group, to become the person who helps people, to become the person who, when somebody has a question, you're the one with the answer. You're the one that helps them. You're the one seen as the expert so that when they need something, they come to you. You're not desperately sharing your essentially your digital flyer, as you've just mentioned, and plastering it around groups over and over and over again, the same nonsense that is just a wall of massive advertising that nobody is going to even read in the first place. Nice. That is not the way to do it, but that is the way that over 99% of people are doing it on Facebook, yeah. and they're just wasting their time. Yeah, I mean, I, I hand, hands up, I have been guilty of doing that at times. And, mm. But, yeah, no, I, 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 I hear you. I, mm. I don't do that anymore. But I, I get that when I put anything on my Facebook page, um, generally, if it's something that I've written, like, you know, I'm a writer, so I write from the heart, I, I, I share my experience and I put a picture up or whatever it is, that's where I get the conversations and the comments and mm people will will respond to that but for sure if i put a link up if i put a a shared post of some description nothing absolutely nothing yeah. you know, and maybe one like or something like that so so that clearly isn't the way to do it so it is it is about personal 
connection, communication, sharing something of interest. And that's what we have to learn to do, hey, and, and mm. be more diligent with all that sort of thing. So there's Facebook, there's there's obviously there's other platforms as well. I've just joined TikTok. Now, I'm actually having a bit of fun with TikTok because you know you just do a little video and you you put um a few words and it, it you know a little sparkly bit because I like these little sparkly pretty <laughs> things that you can put up there and I can play around with those and add some music and so it's kind of fascinates me a little bit how that works and so I quite enjoy that but it's new at the moment um mm. so you know what do you think about those sorts of platforms they you know well there's two schools of thought on this I was on a on a podcast interview yesterday actually with a lady in America and in America, they've got very different views on TikTok because they are very concerned about the fact that it's owned by the Chinese and they're worried about what it's going to happen to their data. And there's a lot of states in America that are looking at banning TikTok and stopping its use and a lot of government agencies, you're not allowed to use it at all. Um, so there's that worry that, you know, we don't know if our data is going to be safe on TikTok and it probably isn't. It's probably not safe on Facebook, to be honest with you. But there's that angle. But the other approach is that TikTok has an incredible reach, an incredible reach. You don't need to have a lot of followers on TikTok. You don't need to have a lot of posts on TikTok. You can have something go viral without any followers and any posts because it doesn't matter how many followers you've got. It's about what your content is and who engages with it at the time. I had my first viral post on TikTok, and I think it was my fourth or fifth post, and it's had about 700,000 views of the video. Wow. And I've still only got about 600 followers on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. It's about the content. It's about, yeah. is that right for that person at that time? But one thing that's important is you, if you, you mentioned earlier about putting a post on and not getting any, any reactions, any comments or anything, that's important to point out. It may not be that your post isn't very good. It may not be that your content isn't very good. It could just be timing. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. I've had this before as well. I wrote a post on a blog and shared it on a Facebook page, and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever written. But it had maybe three or four likes, and I was really disappointed. I thought, oh, I'm sure I'm funnier than that. I'm sure it was better than that. But I shared it again, the exact same post, two months later, and it had over a million engagements on oh Facebook. Wow. It went viral across Asia. And lots of um, Indian sites, in particular Indian news sites, picked it up thinking it was real news rather than satire. So it's all about the timing. Yes. Don't put content out and think, well, that hasn't worked. Oh, yeah. That was terrible. This doesn't work at all. Don't give up. Put it out again because you never know. And it's the same with TikTok. You can add the same video to TikTok multiple times. The platform doesn't care. You can use the same video. If you do that on YouTube, it won't work. YouTube doesn't like duplicate content. Okay. So if you put a video on YouTube, a short, for example, on YouTube, and then put another one on, it'll kill your your reach completely. Do it on TikTok, not a problem. Do it as many times as you want, because each video is its own separate entity, and TikTok will push it, and if it gets a bit of traction, it will push it again. Okay. So, so what got you into this marketing business? Well, that was a mistake. I love it. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be a film director. Okay. Uh, I, I, I made a film. I went to film school in, in Newport in South Wales. I made a feature film at film school. Um, I wrote a script with a, a friend of mine and went to the Cannes Film Festival to try and get this film financed. Uh, we had an actor from The Bill, if you remember The Bill, on ITV. 
I don't think I ever actually watched it, but I've never watched the bill. Oh, I, never, yeah. I never had TV. Did you? Oh, right. I see. Well, the, the bill was a, a, a police show based in London. We had an actor from the bill that read the script and actually liked it and wanted to be in it. So I thought this is it. We, we've got this made. Got an actor from the bill wants to be in it. Um, but we never got finance. It just never quite happened. And while I was doing it, I made a couple of websites to promote the film and promote the film we made in college and a couple of other things. And as it became more apparent that we weren't going to be able to get this film made, I started applying for a couple of jobs. That I thought, I'm never going to get these, but I'll try anyway. And one of them was a web designer for Game, the high street retailer. And the marketing manager for Game saw one of the websites that I'd done that had these little cool little animated GIFs that, that moved and transformed and he thought that was brilliant because nobody had done that before um so he gave me a chance and i ended up as a web designer for game building their website multiple times because they kept having it redesigned over a period of years and that's how i sort of fell into the industry i didn't have any training in in web design i didn't have any qualifications in web design yeah. i just sort of was given a high street retailer website and said there you go design that wow okay so a film director, I mean, in a way, yeah. what you're, I mean, a film director or director helps the actors to look good, to express well, to create a good platform for for what it is they're bringing from their show or film. Um, and so this is kind of, in a way, you're directing people to have that platform, aren't you? To look good in the world, to express themselves, to... I, as many I people as suppose well. I am, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's a little yeah. connection there. So that that's that's yeah. nice to have these connections where you see how one thing might not work, but then you just plant it somewhere else and actually it really takes off because you clearly have really taken off with this. Mm. Sounds fantastic. So th tell me about you growing up. You know, who were you as a, as a little boy? I, li I like to go in because you, well, one of the reasons I ask this is because I, I love people's stories. I love right. to where people have come from. And and I often find that there, there's a thread that is woven through from childhood, you know, the adolescence and into adult years. And something follows through, some quality follows us along the way. And I wonder what yours is. But what did you love doing when you were a youngster? When I, well, I, I had a bit of a strange, well, not strange, everybody's got a strange childhood, I suppose. Um, in this situation, I'm the youngest of four, right. yet my the younger of those my, my brother was 16 years older than me mm -hmm. and my sisters were even older again so by the time i i can remember two of my sisters had already moved house got left and i was just me and my brother growing up and then he left when i was about five or six um so in effect i was raised as an only child even though i had three siblings yes so i think as my wife would say i was probably pretty spoiled okay what does that um, mean yeah, so uh, any any sort of, you know, toys I wanted, I got. Um, any computer systems I wanted, I got. Uh, but my parents were quite old as a consequence. Um, so I'm, what, 47 now, and I think my dad would have been touching 90 now had he still been, still been alive. Um, so I, I didn't really have anyone even close to my age to talk to in sort of the mm. household. Mm. Which meant I didn't you, make didn't make friends that easy either. But you had computers. 
well, I say computers. When I was growing up, I had something called a Texas Instruments. Okay. Which it's a computer of sort. It's a, I mean, we're talking like mid nineties, early nineties, in fact. So, yeah, it, you couldn't do much with it. Okay. But I had what an interest in it. it. What What did you do with it? Well, a lot of games, obviously, but I had some magazines where you could write the programs for the games into uh, well into the keyboard and save it. So I remember I did one. There was a, a program for a, a Space Invaders game, and you had to write all of the source code for this game. Mm. And it took me – I didn't have anything to save it on, so I had to leave the computer on while I was doing it. So it took me maybe three days to write all this out. Wow. So we're talking hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of lines of code before you hit run to run the code, and it didn't work. <gasps> oh. And – Short of going through every single line one by one and working out where I'd gone wrong, there was no way I could find out. <laughs> I felt like I'd wasted all this time. So I wasn't a big fan of computers. I liked it. And I th if, if this had worked, maybe it would have changed things for me. But I remember when you run it, it actually loaded and you had the little bases at the bottom, the little Space Invaders barricades, and the little rocket ship was there and the aliens were at the top, but nothing happened. So I did something wrong with the code, and I couldn't work out what it was, and it frustrated the hell out of me. I bet. Gosh, yes. Yeah. But all that code stuff. How old were you then? Probably about 11. That's amazing. So you really got a brain for that that kind of... It didn't thing. work, though. It didn't no, work. No, but you, you, you made a big effort with it. I mean, blimey, it's three days just writing. And I know, and, and I had to make a decision at some point to turn the computer off Ouch. Yes. And lose it all. Yes. That... I don't know what I was thinking because there was no way to save it. That's devastating, isn't it? Really. I I, mm. I mean my boys had a I had I have um two older boys and and that they had um a computer, but they used to play um this ping pong game. Ah tennis. tennis. Yeah. And say boing, boing, boing. And it just went on and on and on listening to that. But but my one son, my eldest son, he went on to be a, a DJ and creating music on on the computer and you know being mm. genius with all of that so you know you can never start too young with some of these things can you and you just get that interest and it can it can build it can i, I did i did have a go at that actually the creating the music on the computer so there, there was a few different bits of software where you can get sort of samples of music and, and yes. beats and put them together to create music and I still use software like that now when I'm editing videos and editing podcasts. So it's it's pretty much the same principle. Yeah. Problem was, I was no good with the music because I've got no rhythm whatsoever. I've got no musical talent whatsoever. I cannot play an instrument. Okay. And I distinctly remember being in, in school in, in, in music class and the, the teacher said, was it, we're going to play the seven bar blues in D minor. I, I, I don't know what that means. No. And everybody else in the class is playing away. And I'm like, what the hell are we doing? He no, may have been said it in Klingon. I had no idea what he was talking about. And I still don't. Oh, but you said you were quite isolated. You didn't make friends very easily. No, no. Well, the, the, the reason for that is um, I had the advantage and the disadvantage that I, my parents moved house in the fourth year of primary school. So mm. I ended up spending about six months, the last six months of primary school in a different school so when we got to secondary school, I knew two lots of schools worth of children, mm. which meant I knew maybe 60 kids as opposed to 30. 
but I didn't fit in with either of them <laughs> because the school I'd left were like, well, you left us. You don't belong with us. You go back over there with Pentrapoith. And the Pentrapoith kids were like, well, you don't really belong here. You've only been here six months, so go back over there with Kevin Wood. So that wasn't very good. Why my parents decided to move house right at the end of that fourth year, okay. I don't know. I kind of resented reason. them for that, to be honest with you. Yeah, there's some reason there, though, I'm sure. It's the work. Well, yeah, they downsized from a, a four bedroom house to a bungalow. But why then? Why do it then? Mm. Worst possible time for me to do it. Uh, and it was all about me. I, I get it. I get it. I'm sure they had their reasons. But yeah. yeah, it's a tricky time. We do have to consider some of those things. Says she, who's had six children and moved them all over from country <laughs> to country and all over the place. So I'm sure they'd. Yeah something to share about that but um so you you decided you wanted to go to acting school was it or director school? film school film, film school. school which film school did you go to it was newport film school in south wales okay and what did what was the main thing you learned there well i initially went there to do animation and film was secondary so you do like a a major and a minor the americans would call it um because i wanted to make 3d model animation like like wallace and gromit for example okay but i quickly realized and a lot of us did that animation was incredibly hard work nice. incredibly hard work i was a i'd say i was a below average artist uh -huh. so i could draw but it was a struggle i certainly don't draw for pleasure and i, I don't draw anymore because I, I just find it too much like hard work and you realize then that when you're making a 10 second animation which doesn't sound much and you draw a picture and you're then told right we need to animate this and it's under a metamorphosis subject so no cuts of the camera the picture's got to change and evolve into certain things and because it's 10 seconds and it's only 12 frames a second that's still 120 drawings that i've got to do in the space of two weeks and then pick and then photograph them all and I realized this is really, really difficult. This is really time intensive. I'm going to be doing this all evenings. I'm going to be doing this every day. And it's not for me. I'm not cut out for this. I don't enjoy drawing that much in order to be able to do this. So I switched to film, which was my secondary thing. But I'm glad I did because film was a lot better. Right. I've kind of realized that I sort of actually now prefer to be in front of the camera than behind it. Okay. Because even though I didn't end up making this film, I still had this big itch that I wanted to scratch for doing films. And, and we did something here at Engage Web a couple of years ago where we filmed something in the office and I was basically directing for a day and I hated it. Okay. The pressure of getting people to do what you need them to do, to do it correctly whilst okay. getting the shot correctly and then making sure the technology was there so the focus and the sound is all working. It's all on you as a director. And I just did not like that pressure. And um, because I've got uh, scoliosis, my spine's twisted okay. in the shape of an S. It's uncomfortable for me to stand up and hold a camera as well. So I, I physically couldn't be a cameraman or a director cool. anyway, even if I wanted to. So coupled with the pain, the uncomfortableness and the pressure, I realized that I don't want to do that. So I was never cut out to be a film director anyway. Plus, I've got quite a few friends from the university course that went on to be quite successful in film. One guy, uh, a guy named Phil Claydon, went on and directed a film with James Corden. And James Corden, whenever he's interviewed uh, about this film, really, really slags it off. 
says it was a you know it was a terrible film it didn't happen he tries to dismiss it and i couldn't take that kind of rejection if that was me i don't know how phil copes with that because he knows he says he knows he says these things about it he knows it's happening and i'm too thin-skinned for that so being a director and being out there is putting yourself too much in the limelight to be to be abused absolutely so you you mentioned scoliosis how has this affected you throughout your life when did when did you have first signs of that uh, that was, I can remember very clearly, that was 1990, hmm. uh, right in the middle of the World Cup. Um, I used to get called names in school because of the way I walked, because I would walk with a bit of a bounce, and I never knew why. Um, and I didn't think I walked differently, but apparently I did, and obviously I did because my spine was twisted. But I went into um, a GP for a checkup because somebody pointed out that there was something sticking out the back of my, my back, uh, and they referred me to a hospital. And I, I went in for an X-ray. I remember coming out of the X-ray room into sort of a communal X-ray area with all these different X-rays all up on the wall for different patients. And I saw this spine that was in the shape of a letter S. And I remember thinking, that guy's in serious trouble. And that was mine. Um, so I had to go into hospital to have a, a titanium rod put in my spine. And they said it needed to be done pretty much like now. So I think I had about a week or two weeks before I was in the hospital having the operation done, um, right in the middle of the World Cup. So I came out of hospital on the day of the England-Germany semi-final, where Gary Lineker scored and Chris Waddle skied his penalty over the bar. So I have vivid memories of that. Um, and I was in a plaster cast up to my neck for about six, six to eight weeks, so I couldn't turn my head. And then after that, I was in a sort of a plastic bolt-up corset strapped in that I could take off at night. But during the day, I had to wear it, and I had to go to school with that on. So I couldn't get a school uniform over it because it was all sort of bulky at the back. So I had to wear a tracksuit, which signaled me out immediately from everybody else as well because I'm the one wearing a tracksuit, not a school uniform. Mm. And, yeah, it, it it pretty much doesn't affect me that much now, although as I put weight on you know around the middle area um i can feel it i don't want to stand up too long because i can feel the weight on my back and i can feel the the strain and i do tend to sit down more often than i normally would as a result so so working on the computer and doing the work you do actually it's not so physical physically demanding on the body is it so this is actually an ideal career for you in that Uh, well (laughs) yeah i suppose um I think I could do with being less sedatory, but I think we, we probably all could, to be honest. Sure. Yeah. 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 Wow. Have you been through any, have you, have you worked with anything in particular that you feel has helped it exercise wise or anything like that? No, to be honest with you. No, I, I've not had any sort of physio or any sort of stretching. I, I used to go to the gym quite a lot when I was in my twenties, early twenties. Um, it wasn't a problem. I found that my back was actually quite strong. Right. Which was weird. I was well, very strong actually. I, I could I could row and, and and lift with my back quite a lot, um, but I've I've not done that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. But let's come back to the marketing then. What, mm. what what are you focusing on now as as sort of getting your work out there, more supporting other people to fulfil their dreams of getting their work into the world, using social media, all that sort of thing, and you know, whatever else it is that we we use for marketing in that respect? Um, I think stuff like this, to be honest with you, um, being on podcasts and 
being interviewed and doing talks and mm. helping people by explaining, you know, this is how you, you could do marketing and this is the way it should be done. And this is watch out for people who are trying to sell it to you like this. So whether somebody uses us or not, it doesn't matter. It's important. Everybody knows the right ways to do it. So you can identify when you're being fleeced or hoodwinked by somebody who's trying to sell you a load of clicks on an Instagram account, for example, when it should be about increasing your business, not tick boxes ticking. Um, so yeah, I, I want to do more, more talks. I want to do more education. I did a TEDx talk earlier this year, okay. which was great. And I did that whole thing on partly the scoliosis and the bullying and partly something that happened with my son, uh, a few years ago when I traced a fake Facebook profile, the identity behind it that was bullying him traced, traced that person in under an hour and got details to identify them. Um, no one else has done that. Even now you look online and all you can find is me that's done that, which is quite cool. Um, but it's doing stuff like that. It's, it, it's getting out there and speaking, it's getting in front of people and, and just basically telling, telling the story of how you can do it. That's yeah. what I'm, I'm interested in. I've not built a website in three years. I've no interest in building a website anymore. I've got a team of people that do that. Okay. Don't tell them, but they're better than me at doing that anyway. <laughs> we won't tell them. Okay. Yeah, edit that bit out. That out. Mm. So, so, so you helping people to market. That's your main yeah. thing now. Yeah. And, and, and the teachings behind that. And I think that is so important because we don't know like people like me, we don't know how to market well necessarily because there's all these algorithms they talk about and all these different ways you're supposed to do it but then how so we mm. do need people to teach us and give us guidance on that sort of thing because our our careers I mean certainly mine you know it's really important to me to us you know that we we have something to share and it's I think having a purpose is is so important for everybody to really fulfill that purpose that is so connected to their maybe their life story but something that they absolutely love to do and they need to be able they need to have people like you who are supporting them to bring that into the world um it's so fulfilling to find that hey and um you clearly do that and you definitely do it with heart from what i can mm. i can gather you know that you care about those people and that you want to see them shine and and that's yeah that that's just very lovely and inspiring to hear about so what would be your main message for people and um, what what would you want to say to them i know you've given us some great um insights into how we should share on facebook for example and things like that but what what would be your key message for people listening to this podcast today i think the the key thing which which i call the the secret to search engine optimization, the, the secret to, to digital marketing dominance is Google and even um, social media networks as well. They all effectively want the same thing. They want their users to use them as much as possible. Facebook wants people to stay on Facebook. Twitter wants people to stay on Twitter. LinkedIn wants people to stay on LinkedIn. And Google wants people to use Google and not Yahoo and not bing or lycos or anything and the way they're going to do that is by giving the information that those people want the answers to the questions that they've got and you as a business owner you're the expert in your industry you know about what you do you know the problems that you solve you know the problems that your clients or your customers have so the way to get 
the love from Google, the love from Facebook, the love from LinkedIn is to give your potential target clients what they're looking for. What questions have they got? What problems have they got? Give them the answers, give them the solutions, be the expert that you are on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Google, on your own website, give the information that helps them and you will automatically find people will gravitate towards you. There's no secret to it. There's no pandering to algorithms or worrying about what's going to change. Just keep giving people the information that helps them and you will benefit from it. Uh, yeah, that that's a really important message and for people to understand that, that that's, they, they need to know what it is they've got to offer, don't they? We mm. need to know that. What is it that I actually have? that other people need yeah that's one of the first questions you're going to ask people i guess it yeah. is yeah 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 so interesting and people can find you so we can put lots of details up here if somebody's out there and they want some help to understand how to spread the word about their business their work their purpose you're there to pick them up and say hey you know we can do this for you and with you you're doing it yep. with people aren't you yes yeah and, and and i've got a podcast as well the engaging marketeer that I, I i talk a lot about different marketing strategies and interview people about marketing including yourself of course okay. including yourself so yeah they can follow that on on spotify or apple or audible whatever you like to to listen to podcasts on what's it called again it's the engaging marketeer the engaging marketeer so we'll put all your details here with this podcast and um, yeah, I'd be very interested to listen to some of those podcasts and just see what I can glean from them and uh, get my business a bit more up and running. Um, it's been, a, it's, I'm definitely going through some changes at the moment for what I do and I'm bringing a lot more online as well. So um, yeah, it'd be very interesting to learn more from you, Darren. So thank you so much for being here today. It's been really delightful and um yeah i feel like i'm learning a lot from you so i really appreciate that thank you my, my pleasure thank you okay there we go is that all right did you say everything you needed to say I, I, yeah no, that was great I, I, I... thank you so much for listening right to the end i hope you enjoyed that podcast and remember you can be in touch with myself or this speaker my website is middleearthmedicine.com. We have a wonderful membership platform that you can join for just £5 a month. And we have lots of recordings and interesting information that we can share with you there, plus meeting online with regular groups. You can also find the details of our speaker in the box below with their links, their websites, and a little bit of information about them. Thank you for joining me and being part of this Middle Earth Medicine community. I hope you'll listen to our next show. Please follow, share, like, whatever you can do to help this community to grow. We really appreciate you. Thank you.